episode 119 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com, and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to put pornography addiction behind them. And uh, again, love the feedback, suggestions for podcasts, all of it. Thank you so much. And if you want to help even more, please take a moment to subscribe to the Virtual Couch Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, please think of somebody that you can share an episode with that maybe you've enjoyed or you might feel that would be helpful for them. And lastly, if you have a moment, please write a quick review wherever you get your podcast. That helps a lot. The podcast landscape is changing daily. There's over 600,000 podcasts, which is mind-blowing. And uh, I feel so blessed to have the support that I do. And um, and even though podcasts have been out for a while, it's almost as if, again, people are, are just now finding them, a lot of people. So a lot going on behind the scenes, big podcast players uh, trying to position themselves for uh, world domination. And the currency of the non-celebrity podcaster, that would be yours truly, is ratings and reviews, subscriptions. So thanks in advance. And if you're up for subscribing, rating, or reviewing. And on that note, you can find uh, me at TonyOverbay.com. And there you can sign up for more information about upcoming programs and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, on Instagram at Virtual Couch. There's a YouTube channel for the Virtual Couch. And uh, that's all the business. So let's get to today's episode. I have a very special guest today. His name is Emmanuel Petrosor. And uh, full disclosure, he's a friend of mine. I am on Team Emmanuel. And last year he asked me to be a part of Team Emmanuel. And and he is up for a man or... A, <laughs> I'm re- now I'm reading about what is man or woman of the year. I was going to say, Emmanuel is up for man and woman of the year. But he is only up for man of the year. Let me be very clear about that. Uh, man of the year is... What is man of the year or woman of the year? The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Uh, man and woman of the year campaign. It's a 10-week philanthropic competition for leaders in local communities all across the United States and uh, candidates and their teammates. And so I'm on, uh, that's the teammate part. I'm on Team Emmanuel. We raise funds for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of local blood cancer survivors, uh, the boy and girl of the year. So the title man or woman of the year is awarded to the candidate whose team raises the most funds during the competition. And the top man and woman candidate of the country are rewarded with the national title. So of course we are trying to see if uh, Emmanuel can become the national man of the year. And for those who aren't familiar, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, it's the world's largest voluntary health agency dedicated to blood cancer. So the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's mission, it, it is cure leukemia uh, and lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, uh, myeloma, improve the quality of life for patients and their families. And the funds go to the life-saving blood cancer research around the world and provides a lot of free information and support services. So with that said, I want to get to the interview with Emmanuel, but I will have links in the show notes of if you do want to donate, you can donate to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And if you do it under Emmanuel's um, link that I'll share, then uh, then he has this chance of becoming um, man of the year for the nation. And, uh, and then who knows, maybe someday for the world. But he really does have a very unique story. And that's why I, it please, if, if Hang in there. Listen to this podcast. Um, it's not just a, hey, give him money. As a matter of fact, I don't think he even says that until uh, the very end, and I try to pry it out of him because Emmanuel has a very special story that uh, that basically changed his life, changed his career, 
and it has to do with a family member of his that uh, that that had been diagnosed with leukemia. So, without any further ado, let me get to that interview with Emmanuel. But I think you'll really find it fascinating, and I think there's some a lot of inspirational things here of of when you do kind of put yourself behind a cause for your career, and then the kind of the passion that can follow and ensue. So, let's get to uh, my interview with Emmanuel Petrosor, potential man of the year. Emmanuel. So we just had the most incredible conversation that we'll never be able to duplicate, right? Yes. Exactly. So my guest on the virtual couch is Emmanuel Petrosor. I sound so defeated now. The first go around, I was so excited to see you, wasn't I? Yes, you yeah. are. Okay, let me try that again. My guest today on the virtual couch is Emmanuel Petrosor. Now I'm going to stumble over your name. Um, a friend of mine, and he has a, a, an incredible story that's kind of put him in a position that I really wanted to have him tell this story on the virtual couch. And uh, Emmanuel, Welcome to the virtual couch. And how about you tell that story again, right? Sure. Okay. Uh, don't don't feel bad about Petrosaur. A lot of people have a hard time. Okay. What are the what are the what, what do you typically get it? Uh, I get uh, there's uh, Petrosaur Petrisor is the way you're supposed to say. It. Okay. There's a little sh in there. Yeah. Um, there's the Americanized version, which is Petrizer. Uh, my the younger siblings in our family use Petrizer. Oh, do they really? Uh, yeah. Okay. And I use Petrosaur. Okay. All right, so Emmanuel Petrosor, and you go by E-Man. E-Man is a nickname that I was uh, affectionately given since I was working um, in healthcare mm. from my colleagues. Okay. It's just E-Man's here type of thing, okay. like like a play on He-Man. Like oh, he's here to I save the day. Yeah. Together. Okay, so take us back. Where did you, where'd you grow up? Uh, I was born in Romania. I was um, five years old when we uh, immigrated to the United States. Uh, 1985, and then we lived uh, in well, Chicago. What do you remember about Romania? Uh, or do you I, remember anything? I, I remember a couple things about Romania, but like the one thing that really stood out was my grandfather's house. He lived, um, he lived like on a hill, hmm. and Romania is a cold weather like climate. Cold. What's it comparable to? Uh, well, so they Alaska use Celsius. Or? They oh. use Celsius, right? I don't well, you know. Let me get my calculator. Yeah, right. it's a, well, I should know because we use that in healthcare, right? Okay. Um, I believe, uh, I want to say like 10 degrees Celsius, really, really cold. Okay. Um, so for us, Californians, right. that's really cold. Yeah. Zero, I've heard of like negative, negative, negative Celsius mm. there. Um, my, the thing that I do remember is like sledding off of my grandfather's property. Mm. Um, but aside from that, not much. Okay. Yeah. So in Chicago, 1985. In How 1985, I was there from 85 to 90, and also a very similar snow story. I remember walking to school in the snow. Barefoot? Or uh, yeah, up you know, five <laughs> miles each way, no shoes, okay. yeah, that kind of thing. Okay. And then, uh, <laughs> That's what many, I tell my kids. Of course. Um, and then uh, how many siblings did you have that came uh, over? Five. Five, okay. Five. I um, was the middle child. Middle child. Mm -hmm. Now, while you're on the couch, I could we could talk about oh, that. Oh, middle child syndrome. Exactly. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah. No, no, we could continue. That's another, that'll be another podcast yes. for a different day. Okay. So then what brought you to Sacramento? Uh, we moved, uh, my parents. <laughs> we moved here uh, in 1990. My mom had um, uh, respiratory issues, mm -hmm. so um, asthma. Mm -hmm. And um, they felt that it would be better for her to move to a uh, warmer climate than Chicago. I have to ask you, I mean, and this isn't part of the what we we're going to talk about today, but respiratory issues, and uh, so people come out here, but then you have people that live here that have a lot of allergies. I mean, is that... 
So what people people's perceptions and actual facts are two different things, okay. right? So people believe, okay, well, it's sunny weather, it's warm uh, weather, let's go there. You know, Sacramento Valley is actually one of the worst places for <laughs> for respiratory places people, okay. right? So there's a lot of allergies. It's a big valley. A lot of the pollen comes in, has nowhere to go, it and in. it just settles. A lot of uh, uh, people will come in, develop an allergy. They'll leave, and the allergy goes away. Oh, okay. they So I've I've heard of a couple colleagues who. Um, uh, their children developed allergies. Moved to LA, of all places, allergies better. It's gone. But okay. it's like all the pollution in LA, but it's yeah. the actual, the, the way Sacramento Valley is set up. Okay, no, that makes sense. That does. Um, what do you remember about uh, your early years in Sacramento? So you were 10 or so when you were here? Yes, yeah. I, uh, 10 years old when I came here. Um, I, like my early childhood in Sacramento was fairly normal, you know, mm-hmm. just playing with the kids, going on. Going out, yeah, hanging out. Okay, so uh, kind of leads into the. Um, well, let me ask you, what did you want to do when you grew up at that point? When you were kind of going through school. So uh, before I, I went and I got my, my degree, I was um, fascinated by history. I still am a little bit of a history buff. Uh-huh. I wanted to be a history teacher, and it was a, in the Romanian community. Uh, it's more of a prestigious thing to be an educator. Okay. So I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and I started, uh, it was two years into my degree um, when this situation happened with my brother. Okay, talk about that. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's kind of, um, and, and I think you and I were talking beforehand too, people, people are, have situations occur in their lives and you know I know it's not just in Disney movies but then they can go one of two ways. Right, um, where they can look at that situation and think, I, I can't believe this is happening to me, and and maybe start to withdraw, or they can do what they can, they can turn it into something positive. Okay, you know, you get to, you, sometimes. Well, I mean, not sometimes, all the times. You usually can't control the circumstances or what happens to you. You can only control how you respond to it. Yeah. Um, and in this situation, my brother uh, Benjamin. Right here, mm. he developed uh, leukemia. I was 18 years old. Benjamin was 21 at that time, or he was 20 when he was diagnosed, and I was 18. Um, and then at that time, um, you know, they said, "Well, here's this is what's going on. He has leukemia." We we're like, "Whoa, what's what's leukemia? This, right. None of this stuff happens to us. Yeah, we are you know relatively you know, there's cancer free in our family. My grandfather lived to 101. Wow. My other grandfather was 100." Uh, 95, 89, wow. that kind of, you know, every, longevity runs in our family. And um, go, going in, they, they diagnosed him, uh, brought, it all, brought us all together, said, hey, look, um, there is this treatment plan where you can do a stem cell donation or bone marrow, and um, the results are very uh, positive if you do it. So our, the siblings all got tested, and he and I matched. Actually, he, I, and my little brother I have a younger brother, um, David. He matched as well. Wow. Do you remember what that was like? I mean, after hearing that, learning more about what leukemia was and then learning that there was something you could do? Yes. Uh, at first, it was like the unknown because uh-huh. nobody in my family ever worked healthcare. There's no healthcare connection. And it's like a little bit of distrust towards sure. Western medicine coming from a country where the, the state kind of had control over you and whatever they deemed fit uh, looking back now it's like 
I've been in healthcare for almost 20 years now, so I know the patient's rights and those kind of things. Coming from a country where there was no patient's rights, it was whatever the state said you can have, that's what happens. Wow. So, um, so still a little bit of that mentality going in when they're a little telling distrust, you, yeah. a little distrust, yeah, and and of course you're scared. You're like, what's going to happen? You know, our lives go up and down. And um, I matched with him, and my younger brother matched as well. So then, what what happens from there? So at that time, um, I went. I said, well, okay, let me go ahead and do the donation since I'm older and. Um, I did the stem cell, so they put in a central line catheter. They gave me uh, epigen and eupigen, which is some um, medication that they give you for your body to hyperproduce these stem cells that you're harvested. Okay. And uh, it was about a week and a half process uh, of, the, of the shots. And then after that, about another week, week and a half of uh, harvesting the cells. So then they harvest it, and then we did a donation for um, Benjamin. And in the middle of that, that's when I kind of had this epiphany of, wow, these people like really impact people's lives and touch them in like their most difficult times of the crisis of their family. In what way? I mean, you remember, did, were they there talking, joking? Were they, I mean, what was that like, the, the healthcare providers? Um, the, the things that I really liked or appreciate about them is... Well, there was like chaos all around. We didn't know what's going on. They were very steadfast. Mm. They, they were very knowledgeable. They were very honest with us about what's going on. But at the same time, they're very compassionate. They're like, we can help you guys with this. We're willing to help. The, you know, there's been successful transplants. And they just, they just corralled us. They helped our family stay together in the midst of all of this. Yeah. So, so you start, at that point, did you start thinking about what if a career in healthcare, Or was that still... Or did you just appreciate what they were doing for you? It was it was right at that point where I, um, after I donated, I went back to my guidance counselor and I said, hey, you know, I, I feel like I want to switch my major. And I told him, I said, it's for, I want to go for nursing. And he laughed. He was like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, I, I feel like this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be able to, to touch other people's lives like these people have touched mine. Yeah, and that was, so how long ago? 20 years ago? Um, 1998. Okay. So we're there, and, and I might be so far off the, the path here, but um, nursing, I mean, was that, is that a still a primarily female-dominated uh, job? Or at that time, was it? Or, you know, did, did people think, wait, why aren't you going to go be a doctor? Or, you know... Yeah, uh, it still was. Yeah, okay. and it, it it actually still is. Okay, it still is. I think like the numbers now are um, either twenty to twenty five percent male. Okay, and it's growing now than it was before. Uh, but it, it's interesting. It, it, it's typical that men overall will go towards the high adrenaline, high um, trauma, or high um, what's the word. Um, stimuli type environment okay. so they'll go to the ER or the ICUs and actually the ICU that I work in um, the hospital I work in at Sutter Health we have um, five ICUs oh. and my ICU that I'm stationed at is the medical ICU okay so it's a medical generic ICU okay and so that so you're saying most guys then tend to go for that They'll go for like adrenaline. the higher adrenaline, yeah. higher trauma, higher um, stimuli type environment. In our ICU, the medical ICU, it, I believe it's about 
30 to 40% male. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes I'll come into work and it's just like a list of guys, yeah. like seven guys working together. It's Did you ever cool. do stuff in the ER as well? Or yeah. No? So I, I, right now I, I work in the medical ICU and on the rapper response team. Uh-huh. The rapper response team is um, associated with the whole hospital as well as with ER. So we have a, uh, it's basically a, uh, a team of ICU professionals that do uh, pre-code assessment and diversion so that we don't get to a place where our patient actually codes and dies. Okay. I have to ask you, and this is a little, again, now you are here, i got to ask these questions. I've always wanted to ask an ER nurse, an ICU nurse, um, when, do you remember when it kind of clicked where you were just calm in those situations? Do you remember your first days on the job or what that was like? Oh, um, I don't know. I remember my first death. Okay. I still remember that exactly. I remember the room number. It's room 3418. Wow. Um, I remember the situation. I remember who I was working with. Uh, I remember the, a lot of the highlights or the traumatic points of, of my first couple of years of, of training. Um, I think just being a, a kind of person that I am or a lot of people in healthcare we 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 strive for that that kind of environment because we can focus in okay. those situations where everything is kind of like falling apart we we are able to differentiate the non-essentials and focus on what's essential and keeping the person alive okay did, did it when you remember that first death i mean was there a part of you that thought okay i, I can't do this or i don't want to do this or was it just i knew this was coming it was inevitable um, I never got to a point where it's like, I can't do this. Okay. Um, I did get to a lot of points where it's kind of like, whoa, this is real. This yeah. is this is what actual life is like and what the death and dying process is like. So I've gotten to those points, but I've never gotten to a point where it's like, oh, I don't want to do this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What was the schooling like? Did you enjoy that part? Uh, it was very awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tall, 21-year-old, lengthy, skinny guy. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's like seven, seven ladies or 10 ladies, I forget who was in our crew. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two guys, two or three guys that graduated, yeah. Yeah. So where did you where did you end up first out of school? Uh, in the ICU. Okay. I Where went straight to the ICU. Yeah, in the same ICU. <clears throat> I got hired in the same ICU I'm working now, oh, wow. which was um, the ICU on the floor below where we did the transplant. Okay. Oh, talk about that. I mean, more about, uh, tell me the, the, the story of your brother. So, yeah, he he developed a leukemia. Um, my brother and I matched. We, you know, were kind of like reluctant to go forward with this. I, you know, it's for my brother, I would do anything, so I, I said, I'll, I'll do it. Um, we did the, the transplant, put in the central line catheter. That was a little bit of a ordeal. It, it started bleeding too much. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm gonna die, what did yeah. I do? But then, you know, you just trudge through it. And then, um, you know, after about uh, four or five months, because everything was successful, the transplant went well. My brother, um, stopped taking the um, anti-rejection medication and his body rejected the transplant. Mm, okay. So um, So did he know that, that you had changed direction, that you were heading down that? Yeah, we were talking about it at that time, yeah. Okay. We did, we, we mentioned it, I told him that I think I want to do this and it was something that was he was aware of. Yeah. How, how often do you think of your brother and your job now? So every time I go into work, you know, it's funny because the the unit that we did the transplant, um, a lot of the old um, 
employees who work there, they'll call me Benjamin and I'll call them Benjamin back, like oh, in, wow. in honor of him. Oh. Uh, I walk in, I'll say, hey, Benjamin, hey, Benjamin. And they're yeah. like, that's not Benjamin, that's E-Man. It's like, ah, oh, no, 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 they know, we have something else going on. Or I'll say it to like one of the female nurses and they're like, no, that's, that's, that's not, you know. So were there people there that then you end up working with? I mean, do you remember that well? Yeah, so like um, Toby, Gina, Dulce. Dulce is actually the educator and she's on, she's on our team for um, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Uh-huh. Um, she's the educator for the, that department. Okay. And she was actually a patient on the same unit with my brother. Oh, wow. She remembers the story we were talking about because um, he, he was having a hard time with, with the, the treatment, throwing up a lot, and she offered to take him down to um, buy him a, a slice of pizza if he would eat. Oh. And she bought him a slice of pizza. She did. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so while I've got you here, mm-hmm. I see you nurse. Um, get stories I mean do you just have stories for days or are you the one that you, at a party somebody says tell me ICU stories <laughs> yeah um, there is a so healthcare people are a different breed of yeah. people um, we're the we're the kind of people it's like the body is our our career right so yeah. we we see a lot of things um, there, yeah I've seen lots lots of interesting things we we we're not judgmental, of course, and right. it's like, and, and and really, at the end of the day, it's like you're here with me for this amount of time, and my job is to deliver you healthy out of this situation, regardless of what you what, come in whatever with, you right? came in with or yeah. whatever you did to yourself or to your body. It's yeah. like that's not my role. My role right now is to take all of the knowledge that I've acquired over these years and get you healthy and deliver you with a heart rate and with a blood pressure at the end of the day. I love that because, you know, as a therapist, uh, same. So people come to me with their their things that they are going through. and, and uh, But with mine, it's a lot harder at times to try to sort through the, the reality. Yeah. They're, they're afraid of being judged. You know, how much am I going to let this person know? In the ICU, it's there. You you know what's going on. Yeah, right? yeah. So you still probably hear stories that don't quite match up, but... Correct. Correct. And then, uh, and then you you'll get the, you'll give them that look from time to time, like really, okay, really, yeah, really. Is that what happened? Is or my my? This is the one that kind of like it it, it kind of gets me the question marks. Like, we're gonna give you drugs. We're gonna mm. give you medication that actually can interfere with some of the drugs that you've okay. taken. Yeah. You need to tell me that because if I if I don't know and I give you something, I can actually kill you. Yeah. And I don't want to. My, my my job or my career is to try to save you. My jo- I, I'm not going to judge you for wow. taking this. Yeah. You need to tell me what you've taken beforehand because if, you, if you've if you taken something that I don't know and I come, I mean, one of them that I'm, I'm just going to throw out sure. there. Um, the taboo one is the the blue pill. Okay. You know, a lot of people are, oh. Yes. But if, you're, if you are on something like that, um, we need to know ahead of time because those that medication originally was created for um, the blue pill. For those who don't know, it's ah. Viagra. Yes, uh, it, it was created for blood pressure management. Okay. So what it does is it's a vasodilator. So it, it opens up your veins, and but I mean, doing so, it actually drops your blood pressure threshold. So if you come in having that in your system and you're in what we call a hypertensive crisis, and I'm trying to take care of the hypertension, and I don't know that you have this, and I give you some other medication to correct this, this tiny period of your life with the, when you have high blood pressure, right. I'm actually 
working with that together to drop your blood pressure and then that, then you just go from one extreme to the next and now we have to resuscitate you try to give you all the fluid to maintain your blood pressure yeah. so you have you been able to start to read people's uh, faces body language when it's you know yeah, you get, have you taken anything and it's, yeah you, you get you get really good at like looking at the eyes <laughs> and just paying attention to more of the subtle details i look at the vital signs when you come in and i okay. say okay well okay that's true too because you know this is a pretty conducive of this yeah right? well there's, you know, that old saying, looks like a duck, walks like a duck, yeah. talks like a duck, quacks like a duck, must be a duck. So in a situation where, you know, your toxicology is coming back, your vital signs are, are indicative of that, I'm going to say, hey, look, I mean, I know that you've taken this, you, you've tested positive for this, but I'm not going to, I'm not here to arrest you exactly. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I love it. In my world, I, I, I need, I wish I had vitals. I just have to keep going with, tell me more about that, right? <laughs> Till they, uh, yeah, till keep they... going. Exactly, keep exactly, pushing right? the situation. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about, because uh, this is this next part is fun, because as someone who knows you, uh, you are you are dynamic, you're funny, all those wonderful things, but you're not one that is going out there saying, hey, everybody, look at me, you know, right? And so, um, yeah, there right, exactly. So so why, why are we talking? I mean, your story is amazing. Thank but, you. you know, why are we here? Uh, so why are we here? Um, I, in my role in the rapid response team, uh, one day I responded to a call in the bone marrow transplant unit. Mm. And it was a patient of a uh, doctor who's on my team, Dr. Kiwan. Um, and after do, taking care of the situation, I asked to have the patient transferred to the ICU. We needed a higher level of care. Um, we were in speaking, and uh, Dulcie, the educator, was uh, on the unit at that day as well. I told him, I said, this is the room where I did my uh, stem cell donation. And because wow. of this room, that's where my healthcare career started, really, in this room. And he was like, well, tell me a little bit about that. So I kind of gave him backstory. Uh, about a week after that, um, Dulce, um, who's the educator for oncology, approached me about um, this opportunity to be nominated for uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society Man of the Year. Okay. And I said, well, that's interesting. Uh, let's get together and talk about it. What were, what were your initial thoughts? What does that mean? I mean, you have people that you've known that have done that? I, I have people that I've known that have done that now. Okay. I didn't oh, gotcha. know at that time. Okay. So I... I I've done a lot of projects for Sutter. I sit on the Partnership Council, mm -hmm. which is like um, the ICU board or governing body for the ICU. All of our projects or any of the best practices that we do, we started from the Partnership Council, which is the um, uh, managers and a lot, a lot of the more experienced nurses of the ICU. So I, I thought it was going to be approached for another project. Okay. I've done a couple projects throughout the hospital as well. And um, when she told me about it, I said, oh, wow, well, this is like right up exactly my whole life story. It's, right. This is how I got here yeah. um, because of this. But I knew it was going to be a time commitment. So I didn't jump on it right away. I just said, well, let me think about it. Um, and then she made a, a, another meeting with um, her and Kathy. Um, Kathy is the campaign director for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's Man of the Year mm. project here in Sacramento. And we got together, she presented me with some information and some facts. Uh, and then I didn't say yes at that time either. I said, well, okay, let me think about it. So in mulling it over, thinking um, one day, maybe about two or three days after we had that meeting, 
Um, I was looking through my um, daily uh, devotional quotes. Okay. And there was a quote by Mahatma Gandhi, um, and I shared that with you earlier. It was, you know, to really find yourself, you have to lose yourself in the service of others. And I just I knew, I was like, all right, well, I mean, I kind of already gave my life to this cause. I've, I've been 20 years working in as a healthcare provider for people in the exact same hospital where this yeah. catastrophic thing happened to our family. Uh, I, I kind of like, check, check, check. I kind of did my calling, right? Yes. And then I, when I got that, when I received that quote, it was one of those things. It's like, all right, you have to do this. This is one, this is the next step for you. And you had a good story about where did you see that quote again? So yeah, I, uh, I made my, my mind to actually accept the nomination um, at that time about six months ago. Um, and putting my campaign material together, going back and forth with the printers and working with LLS and with um, my core team and putting the information together. When I received all that information back, the day that I received it back, um, I went to clock in, and the day I went to clock in, it was right next to the time clock, was the exact, exact same quote by uh, Mahatma Gandhi. And I'm like, ah, when Gandhi tells you to do something, you got to do it. <laughs> so, okay, so now um, now the fun begins. So yes. what happens next? So you are the nominee of the man of the year. Are you up against other people? Yes. So okay. the Leukemia and Lymphoma's uh, Man of the Year campaign is a 10-week campaign. It's a kickoff is um, Thursday, March 20th. Yeah, which uh, if people are downloading this today. I mean, this it will be out today um, okay. or that day. Yes. 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 So it's uh, it, it's out today, uh, March twenty eighth, and uh, it's ten weeks. Um, my my role right now is to promote awareness for blood cancer, to promote awareness for leukemia and lymphoma society, and to fundraise. Uh, my job is to try to outraise the guys that are in this competition with me. There are four or five guys, I believe, and four females. Okay. Okay. Um, so where do people go to donate? Where do they find out more about you, the cause? What can they do? So there's two places where they can go and look. Um, the first place, if uh, people are interested, is uh, on um, my Facebook page, which okay. is uh, E-Man tw- tw- Team E-Man 2019. Okay. Uh, you can just and I'll have links that. all over yeah. the show notes and that sort of thing as well. You search that on Facebook, and I'll have those... Uh, that Facebook page will link to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's page as well. Or you can go directly to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's uh, Man of the Year uh, campaign, search for candidates, and put in my name, Emmanuel Petrosor. Okay. Um, and, and so any other things you want to share? I mean, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of your team. And, and people, it, it, this is a time to really get out the word about the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Uh, do you feel like there are... Um, other things that, that uh, people don't know about leukemia and lymphoma that you know from your work in the oh, yeah. ICU? So there, there's lots of things people don't know. Yeah. Um, and me being somebody who, like, this is what brought me into healthcare. Yeah. Um, even I, it took me a while to absorb all of this information. The interesting thing about um, the leukemia and lymphoma um, uh, type of cancers um, they're like the starting point for a lot of the research that goes on right now. Okay. And the good part of the LLS, or Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, is um, I believe 80%, 79 to 80% of all funds raised goes directly to research. Okay. Of the um, 
therapies that were approved by the FDA last year, um, 40% of them were approved for um, blood cancers. Mm -hmm. So a large majority of all of the research starts in the blood cancer um, realm. When, once it's successful here, a lot of the other cancer disciplines will borrow that research wow. and transfer it to more specific, be it uh, breast cancer, be it bone or those, that kind of thing. But the, the origin or the starting place has been um, the blood cancers. Um, because of the research that's going on for the last um, 10 years, uh, the success rate for leukemia, for childhood leukemia, has, has gone up from 10% to 90% survivability. Wow. We are only 10% away from actually saying that we have what we, can, what we would consider a cure for leukemia. Okay. That's 10%. Incredible. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's 10%. And, and it can happen in our lifetime. Yeah. And I think it can happen with our campaign. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, I will have everything in the show notes. Uh, good luck. I would Thank love you. to say Emmanuel Petrosor, Man of the Year. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, thanks for coming on the workshop. Appreciate it. Thank you for having okay. me. Thanks. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber ghost. I'm floating past the midnight hour. They push aside the things that matter.